coming up on Life as a Festival. So it's really all about training, and this is maybe where all the things that we're talking about kind of come come together. Train the muscle that is the imagination. Train that muscle. Get used to what it feels like to envision something and then to make choices based on that vision and then to see that vision come into fruition. Get used to that routine and then keep pushing the boundaries of what that routine can bring. It's really in order to do that, one has to let go of all of the things that have happened to them in the past. So you can't really be a future-based being if you are defining yourself by the things that happened to you in the past, the good things, the bad things, the successful things, the traumatic things defined by the past are anchors, are dead, dead anchors of weight that keep you from being a, a being of the future. So uh, it's a simple but totally um, transformative shift in thinking, which is I am not who I have been, I am who I am becoming. Festivals, be they modern celebrations, mystical ceremonies, or rites of passage, are a time to come together and connect with our humanity and with each other. This podcast is about what we learn when we open our hearts to infinite play, and also how we integrate these lessons we learn into our daily lives. Life is a festival, only to the wise. Would you like to make money making art? How about $158 million? Not easy, but apparently not impossible. The intersection of art and business can be tricky for creatives, wary of selling out. That's why today's guest is such an interesting life designer. Not only has Vince Cadlebeck designed his life like a festival, but he's helped do so for hundreds of artists as CEO of the mighty Meow Wolf. You might know Meow Wolf from the House of Eternal Return, which is conveniently located in my hometown of Santa Fe, New Mexico. But you'll soon be seeing them in Denver and Vegas and likely beyond. Meow Wolf was once a small punk collective, but with the help of Game of Thrones author George R.R. Martin and a hell of a lot of grit and ingenuity, they have become leaders in the experience economy. Today on the podcast, you'll hear Vince's story, including his struggles with his leadership style, loneliness, and the death of a dear friend, as well as his personal philosophy on the intersection of money and art. Vince rejects the Disneyland model of replicating success with the same old producers, but maintains that art can be sustainable. Don't get lost in the grind of past projects. Become a future being by changing your perspective. Um, how are you? I'm good. Um, I had a bunch of things to do today, uh, meetings, and I had coffee in the morning, and I just got back from New York. What were you doing so, in New York? Um, a board meeting. Yeah, it was a face-to-face board meeting with with our new investors who have two board seats and the rest of the board. And so we all collected in New York for a five-hour board meeting. It's very Ooh. intense. Does anyone else on the Meow Wolf team handle the board and the business stuff, or is it just all you? No, we, I, have a, I have a CFO who is like 
my best friend and and is also um uh, just a total brilliant mind for bit for business and has a good has good legal chops and is such a cool dude um so he helps a lot his name's Carl Carl Christensen and and Carl did he come on fairly recently cuz i feel like you were handling yeah. a lot of this yourself for I a was. while yeah so there's been different phases of it so like during the build of the house of eternal return and and previous to the build of the house i was handling all of the like business stuff i mean anything that had to do with money so raising money spending money um tracking the money accounting payroll all of that was me um investment opportunities and then it got to a point where it was more than i could handle so we brought on a cfo that sort of got us once we opened the doors to the house of eternal return and we had like revenue coming in like i was like okay i can't just like go to the bank with like giant bags of cash and deposit these on a weekly basis anymore. This isn't working. I need to get like better processes in place. And so hired a CFO at that time. And he was really great. Like as a startup CEO CFO, he was awesome because he was um, very flexible to the pains of a startup. You know, he was very like understanding that, like you can't push a startup to have strict process too quickly or else you're going to lose, especially a cultural one like Meow Wolf, like you're going to lose a lot of the culture and a lot of the magic if you try to like, you know, contain it too much. So his name is Drew uh, Tulchin and Drew was awesome. He worked for us for a couple of years. And then we got to a point about a year ago where it was like, okay, we need another level of financial diligence, another level of business diligence. You know, we have to like tighten the ship and raise more money and we have to look a certain way. I mean, we have to be a certain way in order for real investors to write a check. And we needed that check to be written because we had committed ourselves to giant projects in Vegas and Denver. And we had committed ourselves to giant projects because we wanted to employ as many artists as we could. And we wanted to maintain full-time employment um, of our team and get proper. So there's this funny like game of being like, in order to justify 200 artists on our staff, we need to have the projects for them to work on. Okay, so let's go and find those projects. Found them, signed leases, made commitments, and then like, oh shit, now we have to like raise money to get these projects paid for. <laughs> so it was around that time that Carl came in it's about a year and a half ago. And I mean, has just been a total godsend. He's been like a total godsend to us as a company. I mean, we wouldn't have survived. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have continued on um, had it not been for Carl's leadership. So, and, it, and it, it's a clash, you know, he's uh, you know, he's, um, uh, Latter, he's Latter-day Saints. He's LDS from oh, wow. Utah. Has never had a drink of alcohol in his life. Has never smoked weed. And now he's in charge of Psychedelic Disneyland? Now that- he's in charge of Psychedelic <laughs> Disneyland. Yeah, we oftentimes say it's LDS meets LSD. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> that must be a nice balance though, right? Because the, the intersection of two opposing forces creates something that's For sure. completely unexpected. Yeah, and, and also finding cultural alignment. Like, 
on the surface, superficially, you would say that there's not cultural alignment, but, but honestly, like when you get down to it, like he, he feels the same way about people and humanity and caring for people and, and, and being open with others and honesty. And I mean, there's like, there's, there's characteristics and human values and, um, and ways of being like that are very consistent. So it's nice to kind of pierce through the superficial layers and realize that there is cultural alignment, no matter belief systems, age, gender, ethnicity, cultural backgrounds, that there's something potentially humanly unifying about us and drilling down to a point where you can find those consistencies. So that's been a really amazing process. You know, it's interesting talking about Carl is a wonderful opening to the conversation that I was hoping to have with you today. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as I watch the documentary and as I become more and more familiar with Meow Wolf, um, you're a very interesting character in this group of punk or anarchist artists. You know, you're almost the left brain of the organization. Um, And there's a lot I want to get into about that. Um, But before we start, I just want to ask you a question that I like to ask people at the beginning of a podcast. Um, This audience are a lot of kind of festival attendees, burners, personal growth, spiritual people. That's who you're, that's who you're talking to. Yeah. Um, What would a home run podcast be for you? What kind of message would you like to share? What lessons would you like to share? What, what would make this conversation between you and I in the context of this audience matter for you? Oh gosh. You know, a topic that would have value for me. I mean, I I do think that like money, money and capitalism and it's, it's, it's existence in our reality and it's, um, it's place in our lives, I think is a, a really interesting topic. Um, as well as like the significance of imagination in the evolution of, 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 the, of like the human journey, you know, the, or not even the human journey, the evolution of consciousness journey and like just the just what the imagination is and what it means to bring imagination to life. And like, to me, like those might seem like completely separate conversations, but they're actually very closely tied. They're like, peanut butter and jelly to me. And so, um, yeah, those are like the topics that I, I think might have, might be interesting to the audience and also like are things that I care deeply about, even though the capitalism one gets me in trouble a lot. The money one gets me in trouble a lot. So, <laughs> but I'd be willing to talk about it. Well, it's such an interesting one because there's this sort of righteous purist perspective of the artist, the, the starving artist, there's, you know, you're not an artist if, you know, there's, if you sell out, it's selling, anything to do with money is selling out. And um, money is energy, and money is what gets things done. And Meow Wolf would not be what it is without you. You know, you after, um, after George R. R. Martin uh, bought the bowling alley, getting him to get the renovation number from 300 up to 1.8 million. And then you going and fundraising another, I think 2.8 million. Yeah, correct. Yeah. It's, it's money, you know, money made this happen. Totally. Yep. And I think that something that might be helpful for people who are listening, who are artists is, um, what's your, you know, what is someone's relationship to money? Is it, does it really serve your art 
to be absolute in that money is is this absolute corrupting force because it can be a vehicle for expression and sustainable projects that really matter to artists. Yeah, there's so much there's so much to there's so much to explore there. I think that um f- for us our under our, that our underlying mission is to provide space where imagination can be experienced, expressed and explored by as many people as possible. And that's why we do what we do. And it's this belief that the imaginative self is our highest self um, as humans. And that it's within the imagination that we are connected, connected to the creator, the creative, the ability to create our future, to bring into ours and others' lives um, things that produce joy um, and make make life's worth living. So the imagination is like very important to us and we don't want to judge the imagination. We're not saying certain types of imagination or certain types of exp- or certain expressions of imag- imagination. We don't care about tech, whether it's technology or, 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 or static expressions, technological or static expressions. It's like, it, it's really just about the imagination being expressed, experienced and explored by as many people as possible. So I can honestly say that like we can provide more and more and more of that space, the more money we have. So the more capital that's coming into the company, the more opportunity we have to provide that type of space and to have more imagination expressed and explored and experienced. That's, that's kind of the basic the basic connection, the basic thesis that I can like, I can stand behind. Now, if, if it, what happens for a lot of artists in their career is that what, what started as an expression and exploration of imagination turns into the replication of product or the replication of predictability and that predictability is not actually rooted in imagination. That's this is no longer imagination at play. This is now logic, intellect. This is um, the imagination is actually getting bypassed, and we're just copy pasting um, predictable product that somebody wants to buy, and we're creating a uh, an assembly line um, that doesn't service that underlying mission of imagination. So there we and we being Meow Wolf and we as artists have to maintain a real like strength around um, continuing to bring forth an, uh, the, the imagination and the spirit of imagination and the spirit of creativity, even in the midst of um, capital success. And I think that there are some examples of that out in the world that we all look up to. I think there's there's musicians and artists and filmmakers who, even though they have made it big and even though they can like basically just make the same album again, they don't. What's a great example of one of these artists for you that you really care about? Uh, I mean, I, I kind of go to like really big artists like... Um, 
I don't know, somebody like Radiohead or something that like through a career have shown, you know, and maybe in the last bit they've, they've gone into a bit one more predictable track, but at least like they could have made another okay computer. They didn't, they chose to, to, to really explore something deep, you know, even deeper for them creatively. Um, and they could have made another kid a and they didn't. And so like, there's, that's one, I mean, I think the Beatles is like a really important one, of course, that like never really rested on their laurels and always, it, it seemed to always be an expression of their imagination. And, um, Brian Wilson with the beach boys. So like could have just kept on writing the like surf song yeah. pop Und- hit. underrated, definitely underrated. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I mean, I think like, um, there's, there's plenty Bunny bear is a good example of somebody currently who's like, could have done for Emma forever ago over and over again. And probably would have been like, you know, the biggest singer songwriter and would have sold, you know, hundreds of millions of copies of his albums. But Bunny bear has been committed to like exploring music as an art form. Um, so yeah, I think that like, um, you know, Beyonce is probably a good example of somebody on that mega star level that, could just be cranking out like pop single after pop single, but she's using her platform as a way to challenge artistically and creatively the minds of, you know, billions of people. So yeah, that's where, and then, and we hold these people, we hold these people up as examples of powerhouses and they are. Um, And so, you know, I think that like, that's, that's an important thing to just stay rooted in is that money Money by itself is meaningless. Money by itself is meaningless. Money, we attach meaning to it by how we use it and see it and let it affect us and, and people around us. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can continue to have our capital, our, our, our financial success mean, um, more inspiration, more creative inspiration for internally and externally. You know, that's, that's the hope. Well, in, in Meow Wolf, um, particularly the house of eternal return is very grounded in Santa Fe. And, um, and these other ventures are going to necessarily represent, um, you know, area 15 in, uh, Vegas. It's totally different landscape, totally different audience. Um, so I want to start with Santa Fe and I want to talk about you. Um, we're both from Santa Fe. So of course the first question that I need to ask you is green or red. Oh man. Well, Christmas clearly Christmas, but Christmas clearly. Yeah. I mean, it also depends on the meal. It's red. If it's a breakfast burrito for me, it's red. If it's like eggs, if it's breakfasty, it's, if it's a green chili enchilada. Well, if it's a chicken enchilada, it's definitely green. Yeah. Okay. So that's my, that's my, so right now for the listener, we're talking about New Mexican cuisine. (laughs) The chili is very important and there's the, uh, dry spice red chili. And then there's the, the green, uh, the green chili that's, how would you describe the difference between the two? Well, they're actually like, they're, they're different ripenesses. Uh, One's ripe and one's not ripe. I can't remember which one's ripe and which one's not ripe, but but yeah, they have different flavors, fiber profiles. I think like red is deeper, smokier, and green is tangier, you know, sort of tangier. Um, and so they end up having different flavor profiles to them. And yeah, I don't know. Um, 
it, green when, is the one that people tend to like. I like green. Yeah, I've liked totally. green my whole life. I when so when you come to Meow Wolf, um, be sure to go out for a traditional New Mexican dinner while you're mm-hmm. here, or breakfast burrito, or whatever yes. it is, and try both. And you know, let us know what you like. Say it, Christmas. Don't say both. Oh yeah, that's true. Say Christmas. Say they Christmas. say well, red or green. You say Christmas. Say Christmas. Um, <laughs> it's funny. It no matter where you are, the New Mexican diaspora. We love our green chili. Oh yeah. There's green chili kitchen in San Francisco. Oh nice. Uh, yeah. There's like you know it's not it's not always hatch, but you know right. it's pretty good. Um, so you grew up in Santa Fe. Yes. And um, and so some of our conversation is going to be informed by the Meow Wolf documentary. Um, and in the Meow Wolf documentary, um, there's some really interesting and some beautiful segments about you in, in the documentary. And one of them talks about you leaving the organization kind of early on. You kind of went on somewhat of a dark night of the soul experience at that time. Yeah. And I actually really resonated with that in terms of growing up in Santa Fe this idea of wanting community and wanting to be connected through art um, and this a certain kind of loneliness that I have felt growing up here. Yeah. Um, what, what was that time in your life like? And what did you find in your sojourn away from the Meow Wolf sure. community? Well, what was, you know, what was crazy about that was that, you know, I left a year after we started Meow Wolf. And when I, when, when I started, you know, when I, when I first called the meeting that created Meow Wolf, it was the first time that I and I think the other founders all felt like we had um, allies. We had we had we had like minded um, um, we had like minded spirits in the room with us in this cultural fight against the identity that Santa Fe had produced and was expressing. So, and that's the, that's like the kind of rich artist identity of Santa Fe. Yeah. Rich. It's rich artist identity. It's like sunsets. It's like baby. You were, you were fighting against sunsets. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the peace and tranquility of like sitting on your front porch and watching the sunset and like, you know, the quietness of Santa Fe and like, just like this, which is all all of this stuff is true. And it is all stuff that we love about this place too. So it's not like we're, but it's, it's, it wasn't about changing the identity. It wasn't about like, it was about expanding it and just having more diversity around um, how, what it meant to live in Santa Fe. And, and, and it didn't at the time have room for punk rock. It didn't have room for hip hop. It didn't have room for, um, street art or room for like loud 20 somethings, you know? Um, I, I feel like there weren't 20 somethings here for, <laughs> you know, during my 20, oh, well, you were here starting Mal Wolf, but during my twenties, I, I remember coming home and being like, where are the young totally. people? Yeah, we were like we were like locked ourselves in living rooms and you know had and, and yeah and started art collectives I guess that's that that's that sort of it was the first time that we actually felt like like somebody else was listening and so what was hard for me was that a year into it I felt rejected by this group so now I wasn't just like experiencing rejection from the city but I was experiencing rejection from the, this this group that had come together um, around what seemed like you know similar ideals. The truth of it was that I had a 
I had and continue to like deal with what it means to be a leader and what it means to have mm. direction and what it means to like have a voice that speaks with certainty and speaks with like, you know, intensity. And, um, back then it was like really detrimental, really harmful. My, my, my relationship to power was one where like, it was really, if, you know, I had a hard time if the group wanted to go a different, a different route than me. What does it mean to have a hard time in this context? I mean, throw up my hands and say, fine, you know, fine, you do it, you know, like fine, you don't need me, you know, um, basically my way or the highway type of mentality. And, you know, what, what I, what I would do is I would set up scenarios where we, we all had to do things the way that I wanted to do them on my path. And if, if, it, if it deviated from that, then, or if there was any sort of rebellion against that, I would fall into this really kind of like deep, deep place of, 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 um, of hurt. That was, that was like, they don't love me. They don't want me. They, they don't care about me. So it was like, I was setting myself for the, up for failure in this, in this way. And, um, and that's what happened. I, I basically like, I, 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 I put ourselves, I put me out wolf in a position where I was like the, I was the ruling leader for that first year and there was pushback and I then fell into a depression and I left and I blamed it on them. And I said, you know, they don't love me, you know, and all this stuff. And like the reality of it was that I was just like, un. I was so wrapped up in my ego. I was so wrapped up in my, um, my need to be right. My, like, uh, my, yeah. And I think everybody has this. Everybody has like this obsession with needing to be right. Um, when, when you say you fell into a depression, is that something, have you suffered from depression in your life? And with, no. or is this more situational because of the experience? Of this was situational and, but it was the first time that I would say that I um, experienced symptoms of depression. I didn't get it. I didn't go and I didn't see a, a doctor around it necessarily, but it was multiple days in my house. Um, lots of suicidal thoughts. Um, not seeing, not being, you know, being very antisocial and carrying anxiety when I would go out in public. And I ended up doing a pretty well-known three-day thing called Landmark. Oh, you did Landmark. Yeah. Oh, how was so, Landmark for you? Um, Landmark was like totally game-changing. It was like, it was wildly empowering for me. Did you, did you find it to be pushy at all? Yes. Yeah. It's that's the one thing about Landmark is that I got very close. I've not done Landmark. I have okay. a lot of friends who have. Yeah. But I just the 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 heavy marketing aspect of it was just too much for me. It's so obnoxious. I it's frustrating to me because you know I did it and and it's a three day thing and um and I, by the end of it I was I was t I was done with it. I was just so done with it. You did, did you bring any friends in for them to? Prestatalized no. towards or no? No. So what I tell everybody is I've, I've gotten a lot of people to do it because I, I still believe in it, even though I had such a difficult time with that pushiness. Um, it's still, it's been just trans, totally transformative. Um, I still get people to do it. And I tell them, do not do, not do the recruitment part of it. <laughs> just reject the recruitment part of it. And they're going to try to make you think that if you don't recruit, you're not, 
doing the you're not doing the work like you're not you're not being the leader you can be unless you get other people to also be the leader that they can be that's kind of like the 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 psychology but fuck it just don't 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 recruit like don't recruit don't do the tuesday thing don't bring people to the to the seminars like it's all that's all nonsense have heart to heart real conversations with people tell them how it affected your life and then if they want to do it, they can do it and get and put the pushy stuff to the side. Do you see at all any parallels between the pushy marketing part of Landmark as their way of expanding reach and your role in making Meow Wolf more of a business that expands Meow Wolf's reach? Um, yeah, I think that there is I, th- I think that there is probably a correlation between like and it's an interesting philosophical question. I mean, if if you feel like you have some amount, I mean, yeah, if you feel like you have some amount of um, value and you have access to a value, do you refrain? Do, do you refrain? For, do you keep that value to yourself? Or do you attempt to bring that value to others? There's a presumption that comes in to play. And and oftentimes in history, there's a dangerous presumption that comes into play that says, I know what's right for you. And I'm going to bring this to you because there's value. I have access to value and I'm going to bring this value to you. But without that, I mean, so, so I think, I think it's a, there's a, there has to be a balance and there has to be a clarity around, around that action because it can become quite, quite, you know, quite manifest destiny. Um, and so I think what's important, but, but, but without that thought, if you, if you say, okay, well then no, when I have access, if I have access to a value, I'm going to keep it to myself. That's also a shitty thought. Um, and that's, that's like, it's selfish and it's, there's kind of a righteousness of the underground kind of thing with that. Yeah. Where it's, where, you know, totally the, the purism of yeah. the underground. And I, you know, as I've kind of gotten to know Meow Wolf as a collective a little bit more and thought a lot about this interview and thought a lot about you, um, it's almost like Meow Wolf is this monstrous organism that you all serve. You've kind of described it in the documentary that way. Yeah. And you seem to have a pretty specific role in serving Meow Wolf that if you, if it really were Vince's way or the highway, I don't know that Meow Wolf actually would function correctly. But the fact that you're mm. holding that space mm. in contrast to others and the sort of monster of Meow Wolf lurches ever forward, yeah. um, I, I think it it seems like it's fucking working, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's working, it's working in, I don't know what, so again, like I think going back to that bottom line of wanting to get as much imagination expressed, experience explored as possible by as many people as possible. I think that like that, in that sense, yes, this is working. I think we are going to help bring forth more imaginative experiences to others that are going to trigger them into having uh, a, a connection to their own imagination, which hopefully will then get them expressing their, their imagination. So in that sense, yes, I do think it's working. We've had to identify a generality, a very general mission like that in order to understand why we do what we do. Um, we're not trying to do what we, we're not trying to be exclusive like we're not trying to have our value found in the exclusivity of 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 our brand. 
Um, and because of that, we are looking to expand into strip malls. You know, we're looking to expand into the suburbs. Expand into strip malls as in taking over a strip mall or having a sort of like kiosk in a standard strip mall where you make it weirder? Either. You okay. know, I mean, I, well, I guess I, I'm saying is like aesthetically, we're not against like everyday America. We're not against the Midwest. We're not against suburbs. We're not against, you know, and it's a losing, soccer moms. It's a losing strategy to be against uh, your countrymen. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. And, and so... You know, there had there has been this there has been this push from some people like uh, some people some some fans of ours that are that that will see us doing something you know in that's like directed towards like a, a you know a suburban like a suburban family or something and somehow like we're losing a there's a value being lost because we're not holding true to some punk rock uh core ethos or something and so we're just w- there's a lot of different angles that we can be working from that's influenced by a variety of different external variables so we've had to like ha- we've had to we've had to be able to like kind of dig down into a core mission and then have that reflected in all of our actions you know and that core mission is very it's very general, you know, it's a generalized, it's a generalized mission. It's one for all humans. You know, it's not, it's not specific. So it's really fascinating that landmark was kind of a turning point for you. This Mm -hmm. was, and then you returned to the collective. Uh, then Meow Wolf put on your play, which is rad. I didn't know that you were a playwright before before this. Uh That's pretty cool. Um, and then, then there was the ship the ship was, um, you made $125,000. So this is the first time yeah. that the, that things started to feel like they might become a business success. Is that, it was the first time that we ever asked people, people for money to see, uh, to see our art. And so we who's spent, dis- whose choice was that? Yeah, that was a really interesting moment. I mean, we were, we, we had worked on this project for a whole year, um, all volunteer hours, nobody got paid. And we were at the sitting at the deck of the ship, the second floor deck of the ship. And we were having a meeting and it was about a week before, maybe a couple of days before we were opening the doors. And we said, we need to charge. Like we need to charge people to see this. We've put too much work into it. Like we want to be able to continue to do more work after this. So we need money to do that. We need to charge. And there was a huge pushback to that. You know, it, it, has it been the case in Meow Wolf that there have been consistent voices in opposition in matters of of marketing, reach, and finance where, um, you know, clearly, like, you've been in the role of, of yeah. getting the investment and kind of propelling things forward in that. How, are there other people in the collective that you're consistently kind of knocking heads with on this subject? And you don't have to say their names, obviously, but I'm just curious if Not- it's kind of played out in similar ways. So I think that like their intent, like some people's intensities around the subject um, were greater back in the day than they would be today. I think that like now that, now that there's like salaried positions and benefits and people are putting down payments on houses and, and have cars that don't break down on the highway. Like these are all things that I think are, are being seen as positives in people's lives. And, and, and money itself is not, being is not the enemy is not being blamed i would say that those voices are the same voices um back in the day they, those voices were focused on money as the evil now the they're the same voices but their focus is on intention 
and and usage and 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 where our energy where our time and energy and money goes towards like that's and, and they hold the same can you line. give an example of of what might be a position advocated um for intention yeah position advocated for for intention is like you know it might make sense for us to financially to replicate the same sculpture over and over and over and over again the same way we did it the first time but it's so much more interesting and provides so much more opportunity and value to new sets of artists. If we go about doing that sculpture differently and, and give opportunity to others to, 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 um, participate, you know, so that's like a good example of where like, I, and I would say also like when we go to RFP when we do like requests for propo- proposals out, out in the, out in a city that we're, we're expanding into, um, doing extra work, spending extra money, extra time and energy going into artist communities that don't immediately look like us or resonate with us and may even already have a negative viewpoint of us and actually like doing the work to be inclusive. And, and that's from a business perspective, from like a financial perspective, that's not, it's not a smart move. Like to, to be inclusive is not a smart move or to make those efforts to bring in these different artists. I think like from a numbers, from a, from if you're, if you're just an Excel spreadsheet, I think that you replicate your work based on existing, um, fabrication and design build firms. And you don't think about, you don't think about like the individual artists. You don't think about the, um, the under the underprivileged artist or underprivileged communities of artists that you just go with. And this is like the Disney model. I mean, the Disney, the Disney model or the universal studios model is that you have these billion dollar lands like, like galaxy's edge. And those, that billion dollars is split up between essentially the same design build firms that did your previous billion dollar land. And there's not really much opportunity in there for new artists or people who come from a different cultural background. That's the way that like construction and, and themed entertainment tends to work for us. Like we're pushing up against that voice and the voice I carry, the belief I carry is that we need to actively fight against those systems that are put in place for the sake of efficiency and instead do the harder work in order to have to be a better business and to also have ultimately, I think a better product. Do you feel like there's pressure from investors to um, conform to this replication model or do they pretty much like you guys have like one, you know what you're doing. We want to be a part of it and we're kind of giving you this leadership path. I would say that it's, it's the, it's the latter. It's the, we have invested in you, you, you know what you're doing and we are going to support the vision that you have. Now it's not a black and white situation where it's like, do whatever you want. We're not going to look at all for efficiencies. Um, we also internally are looking at efficiencies and asking ourselves, how can we 
because we don't want to cripple the company with inefficiencies. So there's there's a there's a balance that needs to be struck where let's do let's do efficiently the things that we should do efficiently, and then let's make sure we're always maintaining space uh, for for the inefficiencies or for the like the spontaneous, the random, the first time, the unique, the one of a kind, um, the the deeper work, you know, and and how can we balance those? Um, I want to come back to the storyline after the ship, because uh-huh. I think that this mo- there's, there's a few moments in the story of Meow Wolf and particularly your story that were really compelling to me, this period of kind of being rejected and then coming back. And then also this period of the grind. And, um, I just wanted to tee this conversation up. I had a artist dance music collective when I was mm-hmm. in my twenties mm-hmm. in San Francisco mm-hmm. and we threw mushroom tea parties on Haight Street, and um, we had these elaborate costume parties, and I was very much, you know, in a space of community leadership, and wanting, and also kind of a little bit like yourself, like wanting to kind of push it along and see, you know, where can we get financial stability, mm-hmm. and during our period of grind, um, we kind of collectively gave up mm-hmm. we you know we were in san francisco everything was getting more and more expensive and there was a point where it's just like are we just spinning our wheels to stay in the same place and we together kind of looked at that we were smaller than meow wolf at that point mm-hmm. um but we together looked at that and we're like you know what running a standstill let's go do other things with our lives and put our creative energy elsewhere and i think that actually was the right choice for us at that time What's really interesting to me is you had this grind period after the ship, and it, it's demonstrated pretty well on the documentary of bits of Meow Wolf in different cities around the country doing small installations and just kind of doing the grind of putting something out there and not really catching fire. Yep. What got you through the grind and put you in the space of the next big thing? Yeah. Well, actually, you know, stopping the grind was an important part of that that there wasn't going to ever be space or time for us to do something different if we kept on doing the, doing the same thing. And so there's, there was a moment where we just had to stop taking projects because the projects that were coming our way were, were not, were, were never going to be the projects that were going to elevate, elevate the group. So we, we stopped, um, stopped meeting, stopped taking projects. Um, and then we, had pretty quickly after we had made that decision, maybe three or four, maybe five months after we'd made that decision, one of our, one of our key members of the collective passed away. And that was David. Yeah. David. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that brought everybody back together, um, to mourn his death and, and brought everybody into like the same space, the same living room. And we, talked about our past and we talked about the things that we had created the ship and the play and and we talked about doing things in the future so it sort of brought us back together we still didn't have things to work on really um we ended up doing a a memorial sort of an in memoriam show for david in new orleans and that was one project that we accepted we said okay we'll do this project in new orleans and um we drove down, did a road trip, had no money again, installed this show that was basically like looking back on the past of Meow Wolf and kind of putting it to putting it to rest. 
at the same time celebrating the life of somebody who had just passed away and then also exploring what the potential of the future the the, the, the sort of explosive um um the explosive potential of the future what that could look like and that was sort of the show that we did in New Orleans. And what was interesting about that, I mean, it's, everybody knows New Orleans is a very magical, special place. And on our way down to do that show, uh, we started to just, you know, talk about me and a few, couple other people in the car started to talk about like what a future show might look like. And I started talking about this bowling alley that I'd looked at and I started talking about George R. R. Martin. What if George bought the building? This is before I had even asked him. And uh, we started to talk about the concept of the show and the house came into view at that point. So it was sort of like in this space of, in this space of possibility where we were putting to bed, putting to rest our past and also putting, trying to, trying to have some closure on the passing of a friend. We had a lot of space in our, mind and in our spirit to think about the future. And, um, that's what entered in the house of eternal return sort of entered into our consciousness at that point and, um, kind of like moved forward from that is about four months later that we signed the lease with George. It seems like there's a, there are some cycles of expansion and contraction. Yeah, for you sure. Know? And, yep. um, both your period in the wilderness and also this period of kind of this grind that needed to be let go. It seems like they were both experiences that you got a lot of personal development value out of, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what it seems like. And, and with David's passing, it's, it's beautiful how that brought you all together. And in a sense made the house of eternal return possible. Right. If he had not passed away, do you think that you would have cohered in that moment? Yeah. So it's a it's a tough question. It's a weird question. Like yeah. I I I don't I don't know. I I don't think so. Yeah, and 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 perhaps you know the counterfactual is not that important. But I think what's important is the kind of you know the honor of this person who you all love so much yeah. and his spirit moving through yes. this incredible next yeah. blossoming. And we worked like we worked um, on the house of eternal return for a year and a half with David with David's energy driving us. Like there's no doubt. Like we set up an altar and we talked about him all the time. And we, um, the whole project was in memory of David, the whole house project. The whole, the concept of the narrative is that we're bringing back somebody, we're bringing somebody back to life that like, we're going to, we're going to shift the nature of reality in our attempt to bring somebody back to life. Like that's the fictional narrative of the house of eternal return. His presence is like, you know, it was hugely part of that whole process and, and, and allowed, allowed people to justify working at levels that probably they normally wouldn't work because it was in service of a friend who had passed. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. Um, we were recently having fundraising difficulties <laughs> and, uh, there was the the blood blood wolf moon that happened in January or February, and I remember like going to David's altar on that on that night and lighting some candles and 
dusting off some of his, some of the objects on there and getting back in touch, I guess, with, uh, that point, um, that energy and, and kind of doing, I guess, a prayer, like in hopes of being able to dig deep into myself in order to continue going because we were having such a hard time raising money and it just felt like the end was right in front of us. The end of me was right in front of us. This was like four months ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I ended up pulling it out, found a, found an investor, but I, it's, I've, I've reached back into like whatever David means to me and whatever David has represented, uh, to the organization kind of tapping back into that. And it's a good perspective, brings great perspective. The house of eternal return. Um, uh, are you a Nietzsche fan? No. Is that, is the name eternal return? Is that a nod to the Nietzschean philosophical idea of the life lived over and over again? Is that, uh, I think that that came up in the process. So I think we had, had already, the name was already kind of thrown out into, into the group. And then somebody brought that up and was, and said, check out this reference and, and it fit. It started to make sense. Also, there's a film named the eternal return that was done by Jean Cocteau who is also the name of the theater that George owns here in Santa Fe. And we didn't really know about that connection either. So um, I do think that the, you know, I do think that the philosophical uh, context is one that a few of our members knew of and liked. Well, uh, for the sake of the audience, because this is a a nerd interest of mine. Um, So the eternal return comes from an aphorism in the Nietzsche book, um, The Gay Science. And in and it postulates as follows: What if some night in your loneliest of lonelies, a demon appears and says unto you, "This life as you have lived it, every grain of sand, every moonlit night, everything that has happened, is fated to return in exactly the same order, in exactly the same way, forever, over and over and over, the same life." So the eternal return is essentially the same life that happens over and over again. And the, the, the philosophical thought experiment offered is essentially, would you gnash your teeth and fall to the floor and curse this demon? Or have you ever experienced something so divine and so profound that you would embrace this demon and say, you are a god and there's nothing more holy than this? Hmm. And the idea of living your life according to the idea of the eternal return is is it terrifying to think that you might have to live every moment of this life over and over again forever? Does that feel like despair? Or is there some kind of a, a triumphant transcendence of the banality of small moments because of what has been, I don't know if it's an achievement or a, a experience of being completely alive, but if you have had moments that would that you would then say to this demon, yes, I will accept the eternal return. This is, you are not a demon, you are a god. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that was part of the house, but it's lovely. <laughs> um, it's kind of interesting in it's the great. in the context of um, you know talking about you know talking about David and mental health, and you were yeah. talking you know you having this experience um, uh, of uh, feeling this despair in mm-hmm. being sent away and not knowing what was going to happen next, and then the grind and not knowing what would happen next, and then maybe four months ago and not knowing what would happen next, right. Um, it's just fascinating yeah. to think, what would you say? Would you say yes to all of these ups and downs? I would certainly say yes for, from my, from my vantage point, you know, I've gone through some, some profound 
profoundly difficult times in my life, as I think probably everybody has. Um, but I've been lucky enough to discover, um, discover love and beauty, creativity, appreciation, acknowledgement, things that are like so rewarding and put, put all of the struggles and failures and, um, difficulties in proper perspective. So I've, I've, you know, been lucky enough to be able to, to have, to live a life that has, that has that perspective. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the audacity of asking George R. R. Martin to buy the bowling alley. Mm-hmm. So you did. You worked for the cocktail um, as a marketing director. Yep. And then that's where that's how you had a connection with him. Um, still, a lot of chutzpah to be like, we want to, yeah. we want to do this thing. And and he's not a funder of Meow Wolf. He bought the bowling alley, did the renovations, and is your landlord. But but he's come on board recently as a world builder in some capacity. I think I read. Yeah, that. so our relationship there. He was my boss. He then fired me. Uh, what did he fire you for? Uh, I just I wasn't willing to update update the website. <laughs> I was like, I want to do other things other than update websites. Well, um, well, and, it, it it worked out for you. Yeah. So then I ended up. I threw I threw an event at at the John Cocteau. Um, a few months after I got fired, I threw an event that was called uh, Daring to Grow Young, and it was a um, based off of a political campaign of the mayor who had just finished, who had just won. And, and he, he ran on a campaign of Santa Fe daring to grow, grow young. So we then held a, uh, a community conversation about what that meant. And we had a panel. So I kind of organized that. It was very successful. It happened at his theater and, and George let his assistant know, Hey, tell Vince that I'd be willing to do more, more projects with him. So, uh, a few months after that, I, I, wrote wrote to George, um, asked him if he wanted to buy the bowling alley. He responded. Um, and I found myself sitting in front of him pitching this idea. And, uh, and I thought while I was sitting there, I said, you know, if I can just get George over to the bowling alley, that's going to be, that's going to do it. And so in the midst of the meeting, he said, Hey, do you want to jump in my car and go over there and check it out? So I rallied the troops. Everybody met him over there and he fell in love with the bowling pin the sign, the sign, the bowling pin sign. He like fell in love with that. I've, I've bowled there before, by the way. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, he basically wanted to buy the building cause he wanted to pre- preserve the sign. And so we have preserved the sign for him. Um, so at first though, he, he wasn't an, an investor in the company. He was our landlord. Then about a year after we opened the house, he became an investor. And then last month he became a contractor so now we're contracting with him as a world builder to like help us understand how to how to piece together multiple environments, multiple characters, create an opus. So it's a funny title for him, contractor, considering contractor. Game of Thrones and all the different. You know, it's just a funny. It's just such a humble title, you know, for someone of his heft. Yeah. You know. Well, chief world builder. That's yeah. that's the the kind of funny title that we give him. So Meow Wolf has been a huge success and um, it's the fastest growing business in New Mexico or Santa Fe? In New Mexico. In New Mexico. Fastest growing business. I mean, everyone who comes to Santa Fe, it's like, well, you, while you're in Santa Fe, you should check out Meow Wolf. Um, 
Are you nervous about trying to replicate this in another space, but even not replicating this? Because as you've said, you can't, you don't want to just try to rinse and repeat. It can't be the house of the eternal return, eternally returning. Now you're doing area 15. What's the name of the Denver one? Um, yeah, we call it meow of Denver. Area 15 that's, is... That's it, very clever, Mel of Denver. <laughs> that's, I mean, it's going to have a name. Okay. I, I, fig- I figured as much. Yeah. I mean, the the Vegas project is going to... is at a, The Vegas project is at a place called Area 15. That's the development. And oh, nice. our project has a name inside of it that has will have to do with like suburban, psychedelic, sci-fi novel stuff. Uh, and then the the Denver one is much more of a sci-fi, strictly sci-fi kind of um, structure to it. And th- we have a working title for that as well. But it's... Uh, Are you allowed to say the working title? Well, it's... No, not really. I mean, it has, it has to do with sort of like convergence of things, like things kind of coming together at certain apexes and you know, explosions of, of, of when, when right, right place, right time, uh, happenstance of things coming together. So that's sort of around, that's the theme that we're working with on Denver. Nice. Um, you know, talking about the trajectory of being this punk, uh, artist collective, Mm -hmm. and then you and, you know, now Carl, um, helping a guiding force towards, Mm -hmm. uh, financial, uh, success. It does seem to have this sort of exponential, almost supercharge of, Eternal Return did such a it made a bunch of money and is doing this great job in Santa Fe. Um, why why go so big? Um, on the documentary, you said that you want to make a billion dollar company. Um, why do you want to make a billion dollar company? And do you think that you can maintain the culture and maintain the the beauty of the Meow Wolf monster if it grows to such enormous uh, heights? Yeah. So the, the, uh, I, I don't think that who we are today is going to be who we are going, who, who are becoming. I, I think that we will be different and we, we are not today who we were a year ago or who we were in 2008. And what, something I've told the team is that we've never been the thing we thought we were. And we never, we've never stayed the way that we that we've never stayed the same. And this is just the, this is the truth of that. And I think that the culture, I want, I want culture to get out of the superficial variables. Um, I want it to get out of the type of music or the type of dress, the type of fashion, um, the, the, and I wanted, I wanted to come get down to like human level things. Like I, I want, I want the culture to remain that we, that we listen to each other, that we express ourselves, that we have honesty, that we, we, we want to have a, uh, a dialogue with the people, with the customer, you know, that we, we want to have space for people to fail. Um, like that's, these are like more important to me as cultural components than like, than necessarily how hip or, or how cool we are. And, and so, yeah, I hope that through like the way that we um, onboard and train new teams in other cities that we can maintain this, like this human connectivity, this, like this, this human level of dealing with business and dealing with a successful attraction we don't have to put on the smile. 
happiness is not the goal here. <laughs> we don't have to like, we, we don't have to, people don't have to come dressed as like, you know, you know, dressed in uniform or, or come to come to work like, you know, with a, with a certain company mentality or something like we want honesty, we want authenticity, we want there to be space for failure. So culture is a tough thing. I, I, I also don't think that our culture is set. I think that the hope is that we get introduced to so many more new different types of people and perspectives that we're constantly influenced and shifted. And um, that's another important part of, of the brand is that this is a this is a maximal brand that is exploring a lot of different themes and topics. Um, so now why so big? Why so much money? Um, the underlying mission drives this when I, when we say, when we say that we want to bring imagination to people's lives, the question is how many people, <laughs> how many people's lives are we bringing imagination into? And the answer is as many as possible. Okay. We want to provide a space for imagination to be expressed, which is like, that's a, you know, that's employment of artists. That's how, how many artists do we want to employ as many as possible. So that's the logic there is like, well, we want to do as much of this as we possibly can. And the opportunity in front of us is to do a lot of this, you know? And so that's one way of thinking about it it's hard to, it's hard to explain like without spreadsheets and without being able to kind of walk through the business model, but the house of eternal return had a hundred artists that were working on the project and they were getting paid and they got to the point where we opened the doors doors open. And those hundred people then immediately got hourly jobs working at the front desk and working the exhibit. So the same people who made it became the same artists who made it became the people operating the exhibit. It was cool for a few months, but it got really tiring. And the people who made the exhibit are like, what the fuck am I doing working at the front desk of, an, of, a, of a museum? Like, this is not the job I want in my life. And so then the question became, well, when are we going to make the next project? And we had to start to think about, are we laying people off? Are we letting people go from their front desk job and then telling them that the next, that we'll call them like, we'll call you the next time there's a project in, in front of us or are we bringing them into a salaried ongoing profession of creativity, fabrication, design, productivity. Um, and we made the decision to create a full-time salaried staff that absorbed all of the people who made the house, brought them into a salaried position and got full benefits, proper procedure, proper project procedure and company procedures and started to build an infrastructure to absorb that. And that costs money. That costs a lot of money. So we had to raise capital against the success of the house in order to support all of the people who made the house happen. So we did that. And then you start to look at, well, how do I provide return to the investors who just paid for everybody's salaried positions and benefits? And when you look at that, you have to do pretty big projects in order to return on the $10 million that was invested into the company. They want to see 10 million turn into a hundred million. So, okay. So then we look out into the landscape and say, we need to get projects open that have 
a certain re- amount of potential capital return to appease those investors. So we sign leases at Denver, we sign leases in Vegas. They turn out to be $100 million combined project. We now have to go out to the market to raise $100 million to get those projects completed, which we just did. Now we have to turn that $100 million into a billion-dollar company in order to justify that $100 million investment. <laughs> so it's just, you know, and, and it's this game of, of, of wanting to do what's right for... Now, we, what we could have done was we could have opened the house and said, no more. We've done this one thing. It's special. It's going to create profit. It's great. It's, gonna, it's sustainable. But 100 people would have lost their jobs. And the people that would have benefited from the profitability of that project would have been very few. It would have been the few investors that came in and the few people who had some revenue share or profit share from it. And so that seemed, and I still believe, like it was the, that would have been the more selfish route, would have been to just stick with this one operating thing and tell everybody else to move on with their lives. So that's just like, that's the big picture of how we got to where we are. You know, it's not like world domination. It's not like some sick, like capitalist initiative to try to make as much money as possible. You know, rooted in all of this is that we want to bring as much imagination to people as we possibly can. And in that, it means supporting human lives with like well-paying jobs and benefits. If a human wanted a life with well-paying jobs and benefits working with Meow Wolf. <laughs> yes. If such a human were listening to this podcast right now, um, what would the best route oh to connect gosh. with y'all and become a part of this expanding monster of punk art that has <laughs> now taking over the country? How, okay. how, do, how do people get involved? Yeah, I would say that there's multiple levels to that. There's The, the hardest is to apply and become a, a full-time employee. Like we have probably 5,000 applications come through every month for 10 or 15 potential jobs. It's absurd, the amount of, uh, because there's there's not much out there and it seems like a really cool place to work. So people want to put their, put their applications in. Full-time employment's really difficult. Um, contract work, especially through RFP process, is probably more likely. So if you're, really skilled designer, really skilled artist. You have some, you know, some amount of, I would say like, keep on the, keep, keep, keep your eye out for calls for proposals. That's the best opportunity to get your work. That's through the website that, that people would, or do they follow a newsletter? I'm, I'm thinking yeah. I'm, I'm an artist. I'm listening to the podcast. I want to make something. Where do I keep my eye on? The, the our our Facebook page, our Instagram page, our tw- our Twitter page does these does these RFP callouts. Um, we also have an artist liaison um, who is constantly looking through portfolios and constantly looking through people's work that 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 gets sent gets sent to gets sent to her. Um, it's tough. I would say I would honestly say that I think like the best route for people who want to have like full-time employment and be able to kind of like get value out of this movement that's happening is to to consider forming like to to doing this on your own, you know, like there's so much opportunity. Every city in the United States could use multiple 
really cool creative experiences. And our model is there to look at and to utilize developers will pay a lot of upfront capital to get things built inside of the, inside of their spaces. Um, you know, there's a group in Columbus that's doing this right, doing it right now. They're called other world. And they basically just copied the meow wolf model almost to a T and it, lo and behold, it's working for them, you know? Um, and I think that like, that's, that's probably the best route for people to be gainfully employed. We are, at the end of our time together, which is unfortunate because I have like so many things I could talk to you about. But I just want to finish up our conversation with a final question for you, which is, you know, we've talked about how you've had some hard times in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in the in the documentary, you talked about being overweight and not having friends mm-hmm. and um, and not being a fully out and expressed person. Yeah. What would you now, successful CEO Vince, who would have thought? Yeah. What would you say to your younger self when you were going through these really deep, depressed, even maybe suicidal moments in your life? If you could talk to that kid right yeah. now from where you sit, what would you say? Yeah, it's all it's 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 all about the future. The future being unwritten. The future is possible. The future is filled with potential. the The future is determined by the actions of you by your choices. And it's like, want to, want to get into shape, don't want to be fat anymore, make choices, make choices to support that vision of the future. You know, it's, and so it's really all about training. And this is maybe where all the things that we're talking about kind of come, come together, train the muscle that is the imagination, train that muscle, get used to what it feels like to envision something and then to make choices based on that vision and then to see that vision come into fruition. And that's a, that's a muscle, like get used to that routine and then keep pushing the boundaries of what that routine can bring. And so envision, make choices based on that vision and then see the, see the fruits of that. And, and it's, it's really in order to do that, one has to let go of all of the things that have happened to them in the past. So you can't really be a future based being if you are defining yourself by the things that happened to you in the past, the good things, the bad things, the successful things, the traumatic things defined by the past are anchors are dead, dead anchors of weight that keep you from being a, a being of the future. So um, it's a, it's a, it's a simple, but uh, it's a simple, but totally um, transformative shift in thinking, which is, I am not who I have been. I am who I am becoming. And that shift, and you are who you are becoming based on the choices that you make right now. So that's what I would try to tell my 16-year-old self is like, make better choices. Make choices that are in, a lot in line with the vision of what you want to be, what you want your community to be, what you want your world to be. Make choices based on that. So. That's great advice. So here's to being future beings. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate appreciate it. it. Thank you for joining us for the Life is a Festival podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can support it by subscribing on iTunes and leaving us a review letting us know what you thought. Or you can share it with your friends. Please visit eamonarmstrong.com. That's E-A-M-O-N 
armstrong.com for more content about festival culture and personal growth. Have a great week. All right. So pull in a few more minutes of your busy time, but how'd the podcast go? It was good. I appreciated the amount of space to talk about whatever I wanted and also appreciated the question that you had at the beginning, which is what does a successful podcast look like? Thanks. So, yeah, that's I, helpful. Yeah, I, I listened to some of you talking before this. It's fun. It's fun when you do these because I spend some time with you before I, I mean, we've never met before this. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of mutual friends and I've admired your work for a while, but um, I've spent some time with you before this. So it's interesting right. to see what you want to talk about yeah, and what's going to come up. So yeah, man, I, I totally appreciate your time. And I think there's some super actionable stuff that you had to share. And cool. I think people will get a lot of value out of this conversation for sure. I hope so. Thanks. Cool. Thanks, man.